0: And we are live on, and we are also live on Facebook for, for those joining us joining us on Facebook Live. Welcome, good morning. This is the Struggles of Jacob. Please keep your prefer, your preferred uh, Tanakh translation or copy at hand.
1: And with that, Rabbi Silver. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so we're going to begin with Chapter Twenty Seven. The topic for these next many weeks we continue through up up to the end of December or mid December, whenever. Uh, Looking at the story of Yaakov, and we're going to begin with chapter twenty-seven, which is the rather well-known story of Yaakov taking, taking or stealing the blessing that was intended for his brother Issa. Um, The focus is usually on uh, the ideas that emerge from the story, but also. Uh, especially in Breshit, but in general to focus on the way the story is told, in this case, the complexity of the story. The way the biblical storyteller tells the story, which is incredibly complex. Yay. Let's begin with chapter 27, we'll see as far as we go. We're going to be going straight now for quite a while. And the, our story begins with first verse, mirot. <speaking in Hebrew> So Yitzchak, we are told, is old. When he became old, his eyes became dim. And he he called Esav, his older son, his big son, He said, son. And Esav responds, Hineni. You've come across that word Hineni before. Here I am. I am present. It's what Abraham said the Akedah in chapter 22. So right away, that's a hint that the story over here, perhaps, given the fact that Isaac is old and he calls his son, his oldest son, what we have over here before us is a transfer story. There's a blessing about to be transferred, including the story here is intimately connected to the Akedah. We'll get to that later on, of course. But before that, let's start with Isaac is old and his eyes are dim. Now, the eyes being dim, uh, which is here a sign of old age, um, of course, is necessary for the story. That's the way his other son, Yaakov, will be able to deceive his father by pretending to be Asa. So we understand the significance of a Techena Einov Mirot in the context of the story. But may carry with it, I believe does carry with it, an additional significance, namely that eyes being dim, not seeing properly, might suggest not just a physical inability to see or see poorly, but rather a lack of what we call perception to a, a full understanding. He doesn't fully understand, and we have this elsewhere in the Bible, in the person of Eli the priest. In the beginning of the book of Shmuel, we're told about the priestly uh, temple at Shiloh, which is run by Eli's two sons, Chophi and Pinchas, who are scoundrels, no good. They're ripping God off, ripping off the people, all kinds of abuse. And they're in charge. They're Eli's sons. Eli is the older priest who appears in the first chapter, has a conversation with Hannah. And then Shmuel is sent to Shiloh by Hannah after the birth of Shmuel to serve God under the uh, aegis of Eli Shmuel serves God through Eli And what's interesting is that Eli also does not see or sees very poorly. In the case of Eli that's, for example, I'll simply read this to you in the beginning of the third chapter of Shmuel when God first speaks to Samuel. The chapter begins by saying that uh, chapter 2, 3, verse number 2, by Yomahu, and for the first verse is Devar Hashem maheim in chazon In those days, the word of God was literally dear, rare. In chazon nifratz. Chazon is a vision. visions, were not widespread. So there was not a place where there were too many visions. That is to say, God did not appear. So, is to see. Second verse says, On that, at that particular time, Eli was sleeping in his place in the temple, somewhere in the temple precincts. His eyes had become dim, he could not see. And the next verse, Elohim terem The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, we're not going to get into that great story of Shmur chapter three, but what you see immediately is in verse one, two, three, all the three verses, is a sense of lack of vision. In the first verse, vision is not widespread, that is to say prophecy. In the second verse, Ailey sleeps in his place, his eyes have become dim, he cannot see, cannot see. The third verse, the lamp, the light, was not yet extinguished, suggesting it was dim, it was flickering, but not yet extinguished. And what's interesting is, so Ailey can't see. And that would not appear to be, I mean, obviously it has a significance in the context of the three verses. What's interesting about Ailey is, and Shigo was about to be destroyed, and Eli is called to task. In fact, Samuel's first prophecy is to inform his basically adopted father, his Rebbe, that God will destroy Shigo. He was already warned in the previous chapter was Eli, because he didn't rebuke his children. Actually, the term that's used for not rebuking his children is that the low kiha bomb, he did not rebuke them. Kiha, related to the word. Um kehot. So this is found in that very chapter in verse 13. He knew that his children were cursing them and God. They were de- degrading God. low He did not rebuke them. He did not. Interesting, the word kiha. Cuff hey hey, strange word. Maybe he didn't dim that. he didn't lessen it, he didn't try to alleviate it. But in any event, the point is, why doesn't Ailey, Ailey seems to be almost a saintly person, why doesn't he rebuke his children? So in the story, it would appear that, possibly, among other reasons, he doesn't fully understand the depth of what they do. So it's a lack of perception. In the story of Ailey, who's also a saintly figure, He's very concerned about the honor of God, the glory of God. The, he's concerned about the ark being taken. He's concerned when he sees Khade in the temple, he thinks that she's drunk. Leave, the, leave this holy place. He dwells in the holy place, saintly person. Chane gives Shmuel to Eli to serve God under the ministration of Eli, but he also doesn't see. So the Eli parallel to to yitzchak is actually very interesting and in our story then coming back to our story there is a suggestion already in the first verse that when it comes to yitzchak we're talking about somebody who at least at this point in his life doesn't fully perceive what is around him that's certainly a possibility it doesn't contradict the other point which is he can't see which makes it possible to fool him, to trick him. This is an important point about the story. And it's interesting, without getting into this now, hope someday we get there, that in the book of Breshit, at the very end of the book, chapter 48, there we have again a story about someone who can't see. And that's the story of Jacob. Jacob is older, he can't see. And he asked Joseph to bring his two sons. Jacob will bless them. And without getting into the details of the story, there too the question is, to what extent does Yaakov understand what's going on? He puts his right hand on the head of the younger son, his left hand on the head of the older son. And Joseph tries to pull his hand off the head of uh, Ephraim and place it on the head of Manasseh. <clears throat> says father you're wrong you don't know this is the older one the Torah sets it up and one wonders does Jacob know and Yaakov responds to Joseph I know very well what I'm doing so there's a reversal and the power of the story is amplified given the fact that we have a parallel here in chapter 27 where the older person doesn't see somehow his, his eyes are dim when he gets old but in the case of Jacob, uh, it's not the case in any event Let's come back to our verse, verse number one. He calls his son, Benohagadol, the, the, the bigger son, Benoha Gadol. He says, son, and Esau responds, he named it. Now, just to make a point here, which was important for the chapter in general, Esau is called Benoha Gadol, and Yaakov is called the son who is Katan. Where do we find that? Let's see where Yaakov is called. Katan. Um let's see. Do we have it in this chapter? Yes, in verse number 15, chapter 27. We'll get to that later. But fatikahrifka big day so benohagod a chamudot, a Babayit babayat, batal bejad yakov katan. She dresses the youngest son, Jacob. So Jacob is the katan, and Esav is called Benohagadol. Now, of course, we understand, we all remember, of course, that Yaakov and Esav are twins. They are, in fact, what? One, three minutes apart? One minute apart? Who knows? They're basically twins. They're the same age. So, but it is interesting for our purposes that Esav is Benohagadol, and Yaakov is called the katan. Let's bear that in mind. Now, um, is there a question, Sandra? Someone had a question here. Okay. Uh, let's continue. So Asaph says he named-
0: Sorry, wait. Um, just one second. Um, please wait. Sandra did it. Sandra did have a question. Yes. Um, Sandra, can you unmute so that um, Rabbi Silver can hear you?
2: I'm trying to do that. Can did ah, I You should yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, go ahead.
2: Okay. Um uh rabbi um isn't also another reference to when Jacob calls uh, refers he says katonta at the at the, at the Yabo river I think I
1: don't I, I, or we call Yes, yeah. I am. So
2: using the word katon he proceed, he's whether he's finally realized that he isn't such an overblown Um, You know, uh, egotist and in charge of everything, and the fact that he finally sees himself as Katan, would that be uh, um, a reflection back to this?
1: It could be connected. I have to think about that. He does use the word Mm Katonti. He talks about being unworthy. Mm -hmm. Unworthy of all the kindnesses you have done to me. Yes, that's what he's returning. I mean, we'll get there. uh, That purpose is now he is, I point out, he's called the Katan, even though the two of them are basically exactly the same age. Yes. Fine. Now Yitzhak is speaking. Now we have to remember that back in chapter 25, we were told explicitly that Isaac favors Aesop. That's in chapter 25. He loves Aesop as we're told. So Yitzhak loved Aesop because he fed him. It says in chapter 25, verse number 28. So the Torah gives a reason why it is that Yitzchak loves Asa. He feeds him, cares for him, not a small thing. Rebecca loved Jacob, but no reason is given. There's no reason given for the love of Rebecca for Jacob. When I say there's no reason given, uh, that's true. There's no reason given, but there is something else which hangs over that verse and over our story, not a small point. And that is that in the beginning of chapter 20, the beginning of Pasha Toldo, chapter 25, we're told that Rebecca, these twins are struggling inside her. And she says, what is happening? What is this about? And she goes out to seek God. She's a Doresha Tashem. First time we have a Doresha Tashem, a The woman actually seeking out God. And the response is an interesting response. God, the Oracle or whatever, responding to Rebecca, says there are two nations inside you. Two nations inside you. Two nations will emerge from you. Ula'om et mi'la'om one shall be mightier than the other. The Rav Yavod sair. Now, the Rav Yavod sair can be read two ways. The simple reading is, the greater one shall serve the younger. Rav Yavod sair. In biblical Hebrew, though, you could read it the other way as well. The Rav, and concerning the greater one, the younger shall serve the, the greater one. So this is actually interesting because in the first piece of that one shall be mightier than the other but it doesn't say which one and even the verse that clarifies it or the phrase that clarifies it doesn't fully clarify it but if we take it at face value I would say that the younger will be primary that would explain or help explain why Rebecca favors the younger one because in point of fact she knows something that Isaac apparently doesn't know there's no evidence he knows this. She has information that she has and apparently didn't share with him that the Sa'ir may be primary. So that could possibly be a reason and we have to bear that in mind for our story. But I said this is a, it's a wonderful place to start the study of Torah for, in, for a more sophisticated audience, not for little children maybe. But when we get beyond that, because you see the, the nuances and the complexity, it's never black and white. There are all kinds of things that are, they are all features of the story. And it's all, it's all very complicated and very nuanced. Rebecca has been told essentially that the younger one shall, be, su- shall have supremacy. That's what it sounds like, even though there's some ambiguity. So she's gonna proceed presumably along that, understanding and that understanding comes from god so that would to some extent explain what's going on in the story as we'll see in any event it's not clear that israel knows any of this and he favors esav for good reasons esav cares for him feeds him we need not read anything negative into that. is simply a very uh faithful son cares for his father um brings him food so Isaac calls in, his, he says, Bini, my son, calls in B'ni. Another term we have in the Akedah. And we have Hineni, which is the perfect answer. Hinaini means like whatever you say. Before you tell me anything, I accept it. And now we have Yitzchak talking. I have become old. I don't know when I'm going to die. He feels with the, perhaps the loss of vision certain failings as we get older. So he doesn't wait till one minute before he dies. I don't know when I'm going to die, he says. In the second verse of 27, so he says, look, I want to do something before I die. And when he wants to bless as he will explain. But the point is that this is, from Yitzhak's perspective, a statement made before death. So it has a certain finality to it. And now he instructs Esav what Esav must do to get the blessing. So in order to get the blessing, he instructs Esav to Take your kewecha, your gear. Take your uh, gear. Here they translate tel as quiver and bow, which is certainly possible. Uh, the Rashbaum thought that tel means not quiver and bow, but rather sword. And it will be an unusual term for sword, tel that which hangs, The close is to hang down. The sword is on the side, it hangs down the side of your body. Tel yocha v'kashtechel, Esav is a hunter. We remember from chapter 25. He knows how to hunt. A man of the field. That's how he's described in chapter 25. So here, Yisroch says to him, take your gear, your weapons, as it were, whether it's bow and arrow, whether it's sword and, 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 and bow, go out to the field, hunt me some game, and then prepare for me food food that i love kashera hapti, he presumes that esav knows what he loves because esav has been feeding him all the time esav knows what his father likes and i shall eat it in order that i bless you prior to my death so what's interesting that the bringing of the food somehow is perhaps even required but certainly a, a central piece of conveying the blessing to his son. Now, what is that actually about? So, we touched upon that uh, in, I, I believe, I remembered in what, but I believe in the last sessions we touched upon it. Um, so, uh, Dale, yeah. the chat. Rabbi Silver? Yes.
0: There's, um, there's a couple of questions on this. Do you mind uh, giving, uh, letting uh, people uh, talk? Um, all yes. right. Uh, I guess, uh, Surrey? So, Rabbi, I was going to ask—I think exactly what you're going getting to right this minute, which is, it never occurred to me to question why does Yaakov put this precondition? If he wanted to bless his children, it's why didn't he just not. call them in and say, "Children, come on over. You know, I want to talk to you." Why does he go through this ritual, which is what triggers Yaakov's whole ability to fool him? But I, I saw that you were just about to address that, so.
1: Yes, I am, right. Uh, yes. Um, and,
0: uh, uh, uh could you unmute?
1: Yes. Uh,
3: this is off your uh, uh, way now, but how could anyone say that Jacob that observed the Tayag Mitzvahs when you can see he's telling his son to go and shoot the animal and bring it to him to eat?
1: well it's not cool right yeah, you talk about yes yes i mean again who knows i mean if you once you posit that the vote observed all the mitzvot which of course we don't take that literally um maybe some people do So no, that's um, what i mean about those once you go that far you can also say he said kill them and do and do shchita. who knows i mean it's you know it's I'm not going to lose any, any sleep over that problem. Let's put it that way. No, uh, I don't either. think it's a the question. <laughs> just, is what, what do they have in mind when they said that the uh kept the mitzvot? What is that actually about? That uh, topic is a very good question, but that has more to do with the nature of the mitzvot, I think, than anything else. In, the, in the event, there was, a, there was a comment in the chat. Let me start with that. It sounds like a carbon. And yes, the point is that I had mentioned, I think, in the past that Devora in our book talks a lot about this. Because since we begin with the himeni of chapter 27 and the transfer, we know at the Akedah, the way the blessing is transferred to Yitzhak is through a sacrifice. The sacrifice being the replacement for Yitzhak, which allows Yitzhak to survive and to be the one who receives the covenantal blessing. So over here, one way to understand what's going on in terms of slaughtering the animal is that it is parallel, it's not an actual carbon, but it's parallel to uh, the carbon of the Akkadon. And then what is the idea behind it? So the idea behind it, which she writes about, I mean, she wrote about it uh, 40 years ago, but what she writes about is um, the idea of a, what they speak of in terms of a scapegoat, of the deflection of violence, that the passing down of the covenantal blessing Typically in this book, From Father to Son, name of a book, remember that when the son receives the blessing from his father, in this case, it is not just continuing the father's line; it's it's also replacing the father. So every son replaces the father, if covenantally. We have in Yiddish the expression, this is my Kaddish. So uh, clearly there will be tension, I put it mildly, between the one who is being replaced and the one who's doing the replacing. In order to diffuse the tension, the violence is put upon some other object which of course scapegoat. That is the work of René Girard, and that's, her book plays with that in all kinds of interesting ways. So that's one way to understand it. Uh, another way to understand it is that um, it doesn't contradict this, the first way, which I think is very interesting, and it plays out further in Greysheath as well. Um, but the point over here is that Yitzchak wants to focus the blessing on a particular thing. You see this later on. He sends Esav out to the field to hunt. Now Esav is a hunter. Yitzchak is not a hunter. But what they have in common, and this is a very important point that emerges from chapter twenty-five. There is nobody who was more connected to the land than Yitzchak. When I say the land, I mean the actual land, because Yitzchak in chapter twenty-five, his wealth is a product of sowing the field. Yitzchak is, is living in the land of Abimelech, the land of the Philistines. There's a famine, and he plants the field by Yitzchak at that time, in that year. And he reaps a hundredfold, meyoshaharim, by Yevarchei Hashem. His blessing is from the actual earth, from the land. And the other thing that Yitzchak does in chapter 25 is he digs wells. We don't find anybody else digging wells. I mean, there's a reference to wells in Abraham, that's a reference, but with Yitzchak it's central. So the wells and the land, that for Yitzchak is the source of blessing. The connectedness to the land, it's not just a geographical space for Yitzchak, it's actually the land itself. This deep, deep, deep connection to the land. That is a Yitzchak feature. And we're told about Esau that Esav Yodaya is Ish-sadeh. So the affinity of Yitzchak for Esav can be understood in terms of the plain reading of the text, they share something in common. As far as Yitzchak is concerned, both in two very different ways, because Esav is a hunter. There's also the violence there, which Yitzchak does not share, but the connectedness to the, to the land That's what Yitzchak is about, and that's what Yitzchak understands the blessing that he's going to convey, which is is himself. He's conveying something about himself to his descendants. For Yitzchak, it's all about the Sadeh. Uh, Yaakov is not an East Sadeh. Yaakov is the Yoshev Ohalim in chapter 25. A dweller in tents probably means a shepherd. Okay, but the Torah didn't say shepherd, it said dweller in tents. Let's not forget that. And Esau, by contradistinction, is the Yisrael. So in other words, to focus the blessing, he wants Esau to bring that which recalls to Yitzchak, the nature of the blessing as Yitzchak understands the blessing at this point in time. So he sends Esau out to the subject. Now, let I mean, Yes.
3: Hi, I'm from Israel. Good. Um, Itzhak is also the only one who never left the
1: country in a way right. like he didn't go to that's do you right. hear me? This slug is, this yeah he is did not go connected. to Mitzrayim right, right? You're, you're correct that's a very good point it's not just the earth which is true but it's you know what it is I'll tell you remember it was a fellow in Israel Menachem Fruman if you knew Menachem Fruman or oh, yeah For Truman and for some of those people, it's not just about the land of Israel geography. In fact, he was willing to make all kinds of deals, at least complicated politically. But the point is, for him, it was actually about the land. I mean, not just the geographical place. It's hard for the Americans to understand this. It's so deep. Maybe the Native Americans have some of that. In terms of the earth, in terms of the land, it's so deep. And that's what Yitzhak is actually about, this deep, deep connection. It is very interesting. I had the conversation recently, and when you, and uh, DeVoe is actually teaching Kedushin now in up Boston. And we were discussing the fact that the, the beginning of the Masakhta, the Masech chapter in Kedushin, which talks about how, do you, how, does, how does a man purchase a woman as a wife, Isha Niknate, that's the language that he was purchased first chapter is about purchase and the end of the first long first chapter is about the land it's about the mitzvot of the land and the first sugi condition is all about the land and there seems to be a link actually between purchase of land on one hand and purchase of wife on the other and I was thinking about this in terms of Yitzhak, because what Yitzhak has unlike anybody else in great shape the sense you have with Yitzchak is, he is deeply connected to his wife. He prays for his wife. Yitzchak and Rivka have it. yes, she hides things from, and of course, but the point is, there's a deep link over there. You don't have that with Abraham and Sarah. You don't have that with Yaakov and his wives, not at all, but you have it with Yitzchak and Rivka and you have the land piece as well. So actually the person who represents these two different profound connections, Yitzhak is deeply connected. He's not connected to too many people, is Yitzhak, but the things he does connect to, they're very deep, very deep. And uh, he's not one who's gonna save the world, doesn't go out into the world, but the relationships he has are profound. And that's what Yitzhak is about. He's a very, I think, underrated character in Sefer Bray He's an incredibly important character. In any event, he he's his son, and he's going I'd- to bless his son. Yes?
3: By the way, I just cannot resist adding the following, that the Hebrew language, which is a very uh, don't know, clever language, there is uh, Adama sounds like the wife of Adam. There is a connection in the language between Adam and Adama. So yeah. here you also see that uh, there is a bond there. Oh, yes,
1: for sure, for sure, 100%. Um, I okay, have, we um, have the instructions. Given. I'd like
2: to ask something. Yes. You also mentioned that um, it's dug wells. Yes. And I have learned that the, the, the mothers, um, both Rebecca and um, Rachel, I think their connection to the well, the depth, um, the font of something. Um, that is not
1: in the text, actually. That's not in the biblical text it is what you're saying is correct. And, and Miriam, actually, the whale was identified typically with, with Miriam, which according to the Midrash, travels with her throughout the desert. Mm-hmm. The source of life and all that stuff. That's all true. But I don't think in the plain reading of the Chumash, you have it. That mm-hmm. I don't think you do have. But you but you're correct about understanding it from the Midrashic standpoint. Perhaps from a Kabbalistic standpoint, you have it as well.
3: So I'm wondering if
2: that's also pertinent to Yitzhak himself—that he had a, you know, that he had a connection to some deeper spiritual.
1: Well, Yitzhak is connected very. Yitzhak was a sacrifice, basically, Mm -hmm. and although the Chumash doesn't actually dwell on that, uh, in terms of his, but you know, one can read into that episode. You know, as as Rashi says, there's something about Yitzchak which is very close to God. He's, he was offered up to God as a sacrifice and sacrifices have a kind of intrinsic sanctity to them.
2: Mm-hmm. You don't treat
1: a sacrifice the way you would treat a, a, a profane animal or non-holy. Not so there's something about Yitzchak which is apart and holy and, and and different, I would say, than uh than the other uh, main players in this, in the book, each one has their, each one has their particular character. Of course, as we'll see. In any the event, this is what the instructions in the beginning of twenty-seven. Now we're told Rivka in verse number, uh, verse number five. Rivka Shomat is is listening. She is listening. She's hearing. Not that she heard, but she's hearing. So she's hearing, Esav has left. Esav has left, and now Rifka is going to intervene. We remember already from 25 that she loves Yaakov, and more than that, she had received this oracle. She received the prophecy, which on the plain reading is the younger shall be supreme. And Yaakov is called the younger. And now, Rebecca speaks. Rebecca speaks. Rivka, Amra O Yaakov ben Olimar, Hinei shamati et avicha medaberu Esav achicha leimar. I heard your father speaking to Esav, your brother, saying, "Havia wekzayed aseli matamim biyochera bavarechachal ifnei Hashem ifnei moti." So Rebecca informs Yaakov what she heard. She adds two words though to what uh, Yitzchak in fact said. Yitzchak did not say, I will bless you, with nay Hashem, little, little before God, Here the translation with God's approval. He didn't say that. He simply said, I will bless you. Rebecca adds, with nay Hashem. I presume because she understands that when Isaac blesses, it's not just Isaac blessing. She understands the blessing of Yitzchak to be a blessing that is with Nehashem. And we have to remember, of course, and this is critical to understanding this chapter, that chapter 27 is a transfer story. It plays off the Akedah. You already saw the Hinaini, and we'll see more very soon. So she says, this is a blessing before God. Her understanding of the blessing is that this is God's blessing. One of the big questions in the chapter, and we'll deal with this, of course, is what exactly is the blessing that Yitzhak possesses? And secondly, what does Yitzhak think is the blessing that he possesses? We'll have to deal with that question head on, either t- today or next Sunday. We'll see how far we get. And now we have Rebecca instructing Yaakov. <speaking> in <Hebrew> And now my son, she says, Shema listen. Here they translate, listen carefully. I don't like that translation. Shema probably means obey me. Hear my voice often means obey me. Obey, do what I, mitzvah otach. And here we have the very important word. Here they translate, I instruct you. I don't like that either. Mitzvah is the word mitzvah. What I command you. Now the word mitzvah, the first time we have the word mitzvah, We have it in the story of the Garden of Eden. God commands, in the second creation narrative, God commands Adam. You may eat all the fruit of all the trees, but there's one thing you can't eat, the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. That you may not eat. God commanded the earthly, Adam, you may not eat. So mitzvah is a big word, and we understand it, in terms of her her message that she received in chapter 25, when she goes out to seek God, and she puts it in terms of a mitzvah. Obey what I command you to do. We have to remember this at all points, because even though what she commands him to do will be to to act in, in deception, which is highly problematic, but it's not a black and white situation, because from her perspective, This is what she's been commanded. She's concerned. Asim has already left. If he gets this blessing, this will contravene God's desire as as represented in chapter 25 that the Tzair shall be supreme. So from her perspective, this must be attained. this goal must be realized. Now the way you go about doing it, she has a particular way to do it, which of course is problematic. Let's read a few more verses and I'll stop for comments and questions. Wow. She says to Yaakov, Go now to the flock, to the tzon. Bring me from there two choice kids, Izim. I will prepare them, make them a dish for your father, Kasherah, that he loves. Was it maybe true that? Esam knows what his father loves to eat. Rebecca certainly knows. Yaakov doesn't seem to know. But she commands him, go to the zone and take two kids. Shnei gudaye izim tovim. And here we come to the point that I believe I mentioned last semester. I'll repeat it now. And that is, I mentioned that Vora had written about this 40 years ago. And she pointed out some very interesting things about the chapter. And here's one of them that the command, the the verbs that Rebecca uses when she speaks to Jacob are two, lech and kach, kach and lech. Now kach and lech are two of the three critical words that we encounter in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, the story we know as Akedat Yitzchak. God commands Abraham, kach noret the v'lech lecha el eret samoriya. Kach and That was the command of the Akedah. And Abraham right away, he takes and he goes so Abraham is intends to perfectly fulfill the command of God, which is presented in these two words, Kach and Lech. There's also a third word to bring as a sacrifice, not at point for now. When Rebecca speaks to Yaakov, she says, Lech and kach. This is in in verse number nine, and just to underscore the point, if you scroll down a few more verses, we'll go back to this. If you scroll down a few more verses, um, scroll down to verse number, uh, let's see, where is this? Verse Verse number verse number 13. Verse number 13. There it is. But Toma, because Jacob had, we'll get back to this. Jacob protests. Listen, he says, Mother, maybe Isaac will the father will discover it. it's not Asa, not but it'll curse me. He won't bless me. She says, it's on me. It's on me. So the speech of Rebecca began with Shma'koli, kach and it ends with shema Koli Kachli. The significance is, of course. That the envelope structure ends with begins and ends with the words kach lech. When you go back to what Isaac, when Yitzchak says to Esau, he could easily have said kach lech. Take your bow and arrow, and go out and go out to the nolech, go to the field. He says neither kach lech. He says sa, He says say. He says havey. He says asay. But he neither says kach lech. Now, before we get to the question of what is the difference between say and lech and kach, etc., leave that out for now. We'll try to address that in the future. But here's the point: Rebecca has the language of the transfer of chapter twenty-two. Yitzchak does not have the language. So one way to understand it is that Rebecca understands the nature of the blessing, and that Yitzhak. Does not. Does not. Because if he understood it, he'd have the right language. Sometimes people say, Do you understand? I understand it, but I can't explain it. That usually means you don't understand it. Because if you understand it, you can usually pre- do a decent job of explaining it. So I, I, I can't have the words to explain it, probably means that's fuzzy. I don't really fully comprehend it. Rebecca perfectly understands. She understands the nature of the blessing. She knows it's got to go to Yaakov, which is true. But but she she does not um, have the ability to bless. She can't transfer the blessing. The blessing is Isaac's blessing to transfer. Only Isaac can transfer it, but he's going to transfer it to the wrong son. And what's interesting is the wrong son in the very first verse of the chapter, says hineni. Hineni is the right word. Hineni means I'll do anything to get your blessing. That's what hineni means. Before you tell me anything, at the akeda, Abraham, hineni, whatever you say. Whatever you say, I already agree to it before you tell me what it is. That's Hinaini. That's the akeda. Yaakov doesn't say hineni. So the problem in the chapter is very simple, that the one who understands the blessing can't give it. And the, one is, and the one who is willing to receive it is the wrong one so we'll come back to this but the, that's the language of kach over here let's just scroll back now back to verse number nine i'll stop in a couple of minutes take comments and questions so let's see now uh the next verse is she says you bring them to your father in order that he bless you before he dies now what's interesting is by the way if you had only this verse it's not even clear that from this verse alone it's not clear that what she means is that you he should bless you instead of Esau she didn't say that she said something else your father wants to bless your Esau in order to secure a blessing from the father You need to get food, prepare food, and he'll bless you. So, fine, so you do this before Asaph gets back. You do it. Now, the fact that she's doing it right now would suggest, of course, that there may only be one blessing to give, which in fact is the case. But she didn't explicitly say it, but Yaakov understands this way, that it's me or him, and Yaakov raises an objection. Interesting, by the way, and I'll park the Park this for now, but it is curious that what she said is to take two goats. Why do you need two goats? Why isn't one goat sufficient? What is, or what is the nature of the significance of the two goats? That's a good question. We'll park that for now. There's so much here. There's just a couple more verses, then I'll take the comments. So now Yaakov responds. He says, Esav is a hairy man, as it said in the upon the birth, it's covered with hair. I am smooth skinned, Musheni if my father touches me, I will be in his eyes a metatea. Here they translate trickster. Metatea is a word that doesn't appear any other place, but it may be connected to the word to'er, one who has lost his way. That word does appear in Genesis three times. One who has gone off the path, one who's, who has uh, left the fold or whatever. Obviously, a negative word. <speaking in Hebrew> And I'll bring upon myself not a blessing, but a curse, which his mother says, It's on me, son. Now, here the interesting question is Jacob objects. Remember, Esau had said, He name What Yaakov says is, Hain. Hain is the opposite of a name. Look here. Look here. Hain. Look here. Means no, means it's a, pro- it's a problem. What is the problem? The problem that Yakov mentions is not something like, do you think it's right mom to trick an old blind man? That's not what he says. He says something different. He says, I'm not sure we're gonna get away with it. And more than that, he says something else. It's not worth the risk. That's what he says. It's not worth the risk. And that is actually problematic because if you believe that the blessing is the covenantal blessing, which Rebecca clearly does believe. What do you mean it's not worth the risk? Any, it's worth anything. The covenantal blessing is worth everything. In fact, the terms of the covenantal blessing, we remember what they were. Being a stranger, being a slave, being abused. Most people don't want that. They are willing to forgo the covenantal blessing. But the Torah suggests that it's worth it. Not everybody realizes it and is willing to pay that awesome price. But it's worth it from the Torah's perspective. So when Yaakov says, it's not worth it, that's what he's saying. He's not saying it's wrong. He's not saying, he's saying maybe my father will touch me. He doesn't mean necessarily he'll suspect. But he'll touch me. I'm going to go to him, he'll feel, he'll touch me, he'll hug me, whatever. And he'll see that it's not Aesop. It's not worth it. I may in fact get a curse. It's not worth the risk. To which his mother says, no, don't worry about that. It's on me. It's on me. I'm going to act as the one who will limit the damage that's done to you. That's my role. As the one who orchestrates the event, as Isaac's life partner. Shema b'koli v'lech kachli. So when you see already over here, it's very complicated. In other words, you could read Yaakov's objection as more than just, it's not worth the risk. You could read it, he doesn't really want to do it. Sometimes you don't want to do something and be give an excuse, but that's not the real reason. The reason is something else. You know, when Moshe says to God, I can't go to Pharaoh, who am I to go? I don't speak the language. They're not going to believe me. There's a million in. At the end, send somebody else means those aren't the real reasons. There's another reason or multiple reasons why he doesn't want to go back to Egypt. But it's not only because he can't speak the language. There's something else going on there. It's not a job he feels he wants to take on. Maybe he doesn't feel comfortable with the people he's supposed to redeem because his need to flee the land, et cetera. Maybe he's happy where he is. It could be a lot of reasons. It's not necessarily the reason that someone gives you is the real reason or the only reason. So over here already, we have a story of this family. We have Asa very willing to receive the blessing. Asa, of course, is disqualified from the blessing Abinitio. He's, he can't get the blessing because the end of chapter 26 tells us that he married two Canaanite women, which is a complete non-starter for the blessing. He can't get the blessing if you're married to two Canaanite women because the blessing is about securing the land in the future. If your children are half Canaanites, how can you receive the blessing? So Asaph is certainly out. But the question is Yaakov. Yaakov, Is Yaakov deserving of such a blessing? Does he want it? And that's part of the question over here. Okay, let me stop at this point. I'll take a few comments and then we'll continue. And we'll continue, of course, with this next week. Yes, who has some comments? There were several people.
0: Um, Laszlo, can I just start? Uh, Let's just start with you.
1: Unmute. Okay,
0: Um, this goes back a little bit, uh, but I was wondering when um, Yitzhak gives his instructions to Esau, he goes into this detail that you should take your bow and uh, go and hunt, which are unnecessary details. You partially answered this because uh, of the contrast with with, uh, Rivka's uh, uh, statements. However, uh, it could also be what you said earlier, that he wants to emphasize the violence of it. Uh, that's why he gives it more duration, his instructions to his son. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, I'm not sure that he, he, he valorizes the violence. I think what he's trying to pick up on, maybe what the text is picking up on, the blessing has to do with the person... The, this is who, he, this is who Ace of is. People are a package deal, basically. People come with many pieces to them. The power of these stories and the greatness of of the greatest, is it's very complicated because people, you know what it's about? I just had this conversation the other day, I gave a class elsewhere. It's not, sometimes you're faced with a choice. What, What this story is about is people make choices and it's not, you have two choices. One is right and one is wrong. One has a good consequence, one has a bad consequence. Life very often doesn't work that way. Very often you have two choices, each of which is fraught with problems, no matter which way you choose. There are negative sides to it and positive sides to it. Then we have the difficult decision to make about which of these two problematic choices is the better choice. That's how life works basically. It is rare that it's clear or it's rare that you do take a path and has no negative uh, effects. It Doesn't work that way, and this book of Breshi certainly doesn't work that way. So it's it's very complex. The blessing that's given to asaph by his father intends to give it to asaph his older son. Part of it could be older son means that's just the way it goes. The older son gets the blessing. That's part of Yitzchok's thinking as well. I can, I have one blessing to give, so the older gets the blessing. That's one way to think, he he was first. Of course, what complicates this, I want to mention this now, is that we remember that in chapter 25, Yaakov purchased the birthright. So from Yaakov's perspective, one could make the argument, I'm the older one. Yes, he was born first, we're, we're twins, but I bought the birthright. Complicating is, how do you buy it exactly? When he was famished and dying of hunger, and you offered him some food in return for the birthright. And on the moment, he, he he sold it to you. It's a dubious deal. Okay, but but it's legit, but he did sell it. That's my point. It's very complicated. Who is the bukhar here? He's the oldest son, Esau maybe, but is, is he the firstborn? He sold the birthright. Did he really sell the birthright? These are the questions. So it's very complex. But my point about take your bow and arrow or sword or whatever, is a way to say, I confer the blessing to this person with all the pieces this person has. Isaac is not a violent, violent man at all, but he's gonna bless this son. And what the Humish is saying, it's a package deal. This is who Esau is. Now what disqualifies Esau, of course, is the marriage to the Canaanite women. Because no matter what he is, marrying the Canaanite women disqualifies <coughs> him this particular blessing, the covenantal blessing. You can get other blessings. of is a very successful career, very powerful man. A wealthy man, but the covenantal blessing is out. So I would put it more in those terms. I don't think that Isaac necessarily valorizes the violence. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Over?
3: Yeah, I'm afraid I I see this you know much much more simply, because if he asks for the gadol, it could be that he asks for the one who is physically bigger. And then he he sends him out to, to hunt and then to prepare a meal. And he's really looking for time because he knows as well as, as Rivka that that this son has already married out that he is not a candidate for the blessing. Mm-hmm. No. And I and um and when and I think Yaakov would not um, have gone in for the blessing if his mother didn't command him to do it. But we know that once he's there, Yitzchak is questioning. He has suspicion,
1: and yet he goes through with the blessing. Okay, you've, you've raised several different questions, which we'll deal with all of them in the as we continue. I not convinced that from Yitzchak's perspective, uh, he thinks that Asa is disqualified because he married the Canaanite women. I don't see any evidence of that. Um, I don't think that's the case, but we'll see in terms of the continuation of the story if that is in fact, the case or not. I, I see it differently. I think that Yitzchak doesn't actually fully understand the nature of the blessing until, until Rivka intervenes and essentially tells him, Reminds him, one might say, about what the blessing is. Uh, in terms of Asa being bigger, stronger, or whatever, that could be. He is the first. Yes doesn't love him. But I don't believe that, and again, we can disagree about this. I don't believe that Yisroch actually understands the blessing fully. If he understood it, he would say, as Rebecca does, twice. So I don't think he understands it yet. I think, though... He's an excellent student because when you correct Yitzchak, he always, he always does the right thing. And Rivka has to intervene over here. But Rivka herself is problematic. And I would say something about Rivka. Because the question someone asked, I think in the chat, which is a very good question, why doesn't Rivka just tell Yitzchak about, the, about, about what, the, what God told her? Why doesn't she inform him, actually? She doesn't inform him. Clearly, he doesn't know about it. And, you know, it's a good question in which I don't have a full answer. and I can only answer the question by telling you a little joke. Um, so it can be told about many different Jews that are coming from different places. I heard about the Romanians because my wife is a Romanian. So I heard about them, but it could be about others. You know, fellow is home and he says to his wife, you know, Yonko's coming over tonight to our new house. We just bought the house. And uh, he's gonna ask me how much I paid for it. I don't know what to tell him, you know? If I say I paid a lot, he'll say, This is such a rich guy. He's gonna say, ask me all kinds of favors, you know. Who knows? If I say a small amount of money, what kind of schlepper is this guy? He has no money. I don't know what to do. The wife says, Why not tell him what you actually paid for? Gee, I never thought of that. He says, and the point is, remember, how rif is described in chapter 25. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rivka from the land of Aram, the daughter, the daughter, the, the sister of Laban the Aramean. He took her from Aram as a daughter. She's a loving sister. It never crosses her mind to tell him, actually, that's the truth of it. She's, that's how she functions, she, she manipulates, that's how she functions in the world. You know, Many of you may think that honesty is the highest value, integrity, I actually think that way. But for many people, it's not so. For many people, what's more important is certain results, to, to arrive at certain results, regardless of how you get there. And there are large swaths of the Jewish community in which telling the truth actually is not primary. It's not a bad thing, but it's not really about that. It's about achieving the desired results without getting into where these swaths are, but they're there. And the fact of the matter is, it probably never dawned on her. Why don't just tell them what you paid for it? Hey, I never thought of that, you know? And so it's not gonna happen. She wants, she's thinking about the result, which is the right result, I would add. As problematic as it is, if for the Chumash is the right result. Esau is non-candidate. Yaakov is problematic. Yaakov has to learn to become worthy of the blessing that he takes. That's the story of Yaakov in this book. So she's not wrong about it, but she's going to go about it the way love and sister would go about it, which is deception. Deception. You, you. Esau's not here; he's in the field. Isaac can't see. I know. I know him very, very well. You know, those are the dangerous people that know you very well, know how to trick you very well, and that's the story. That's the story. And Yaakov goes along with it. Okay. Rebecca sets it up. She commands him. He goes along with it. But in point of fact that doesn't absolve you from responsibility for the chumash. The fact that someone else tells you to do it is not relevant. It may be relevant to the person who tells you to do it, but it doesn't get me off the hook either. that's the point of the story, but it's very complicated as we see because there are many different pieces to it. So it's not black and white at all. But the questions that Tova raises, we will deal with as we continue. They're all important questions and we'll deal with those, those comments. Is um, uh,
2: there but, else before we- uh, Yep. Yeah. Um, Sandra Rappaport, I saw you waiting for a bit. Yeah, um, yes. Um, yes, thank you. Um, Rabbi, you, you just touched on the fact that in, she functions as the daughter of love on the Aramean. So the she- sister, fun- yeah. Well, the sister, yes. She functions with uh, uh, deception. Um, there's a, a school of thought that um, deception and the underhandedness uh, of behaviors is the tool um, uh of the weak or the disenfranchised and if you can't um pick up the sword and fight face on face um uh, then you do you deal with the tools that are dealt you and the the tool that was available to rebecca may not have been in that time and place um confrontation so um uh and 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 this this whole concept might work with jacob too as the whether or not he was the worthy son, he, he acted via deception, whether or not he even thought he would either could win against Esau if he had confronted him face to face. So I'm just putting in, you say that, and of course, obviously we're, we know this is right, is that she's Lavan's daughter and the Torah wants us, a sister and the, and the Torah wants us to understand that she brings these qualities to the relationship um, and acts with deception. But I think also we need to look at who uses the this tool of deception throughout Genesis um, in That's general.
1: True. But she does, but later on she does speak to him much more directly at the end mm-hmm. of the story. She actually speaks to him later. So she told me <laughs> yeah, we'll the end of the story she speaks directly to Yitzhak, not d- directly and indirectly as we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yes, one of the shores had a comment. I see they've disappeared off the screen. Yes. Is it Richard Shore. Yes, yes. So,
3: I, it, it's um, it, the idea Yitzhak's sending of out to the field with all his equipment and so on is a, uh, a, a setup for what he for for later. If you look, if we look at verse twenty-seven, uh, it says. Yes. So Yitzhak is fully aware of and intending to make the connection yes. between Asav and the land. Yeah, for sure. And,
1: right. and, I, I, I and I he he prowess as a hunter. Completely, yes. It, so. That was my intention, that, that verse, exactly. He's, he's got the, that's, the, he's, that's the blessing he's going to come That's get. the blessing that he's going to get. For sure. 100, 100%. 100%. That's for sure. I totally bye agree. I want to Is there anybody else?
0: yeah who... uh, I know you're, I saw you're waiting. Yes, Can I you hear me
3: now? Up. You made me realize that actually from Perik Aleph, Deception is a theme throughout the uh, throughout uh, the book. Yes, that is story, true. We'll actually, we
1: will we'll get. Actually, I would say you mean the second the second chapter, chapter two and three with the snake.
3: Yeah, well, with the Ghanedan, you know, with yeah, the second knockout.
1: creation narrative, and we will we will we will get to that because there is actually reference to that here in the chapter. The chapter actually references that in, in more than one way that first story of deception. And it's what I spoke about before Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, actually, I talked about confession. Confession means acknowledging the truth. And that's a theme that runs through the entire book of, of, of Rashi about saying, whoever condemns me, whoever, it doesn't matter who the other person is, but to can say the, the truth that I did something wrong. I'm not making excuses, which, which actually Yehuda does. But before you get to Yehuda, there's a whole range of stories that play off that first deception. Hundred yeah. percent. That's important point. Okay, let's take a few more verses here. We still have some more time, thankfully. And um, okay, so let's let's continue now. So yes, I want to make one other point about of going out to the field. of goes out to the field. There's another factor in the story, which is you have to remember. But let's just let's take a few more verses. I'll get back to this in one second. So so. Uh, uh, so Jacob so does what his mother commanded him. He goes and he takes, but it's the mother that's commanding him. The mother can't bless, and she prepares the food. And now we have the next verse:. So you have in these two verses, first of all, Rebecca is dressing him. Now, this is not talking about a four year old over here. <laughs> no, we're talking about however old he may be. Who knows? Asa's already hunting in the field. It sounds like they're, who knows, teenagers or maybe older. Uh the fact is, but it's part of binah Katan. From her perspective, she sees, she treats Yaakov as a child, actually. He's exactly the same age as Esau. He's Benah god And she takes the clothing. She's gonna dress Esau, Yaakov up as Esau. Yaakov is gonna be Esau, also Yaakov. And what's curious is, and the Midrashim are very interested in this, Rebecca took the clothing of Esau, HaChamudot, HaChamudot. Here they translate the best clothes. Now the word chamudot, she takes the the begadim, chamudim, chamudot over here, and the word chamudot does recall its prior use in the Book of Genesis, and that is that God planted in the garden coates nechmad, right? What's the language of it? When the woman eats of the fruit, her eyes are opened or even before that she sees that the fruit is Nechmad. Nechmad. The forbidden fruit is Nechmad. All the fruit is Nechmad, but when she, the snake speaks, so suddenly it becomes Nechmad. And here, perhaps, it's a, one of the links, there's more than one, back to that first story of deception. There's something about the story over here, Shema which is what Adam does. He listens to his wife, right? so there's something about the story that the chumash wants to recall over here to further emphasize the deception what's happening is something not right with what's going on over here you're taking something that is not yours let's start with that which is also part of the story of the etzadat something that should be off limits and she's Yaakov here is treated as a, as a little boy who's being dressed by his mother it doesn't let Yaakov off the hook, but it does perhaps mitigate what he does. There's, there's some kind of mitigation over here as well. She places the food, the bread, the food, the meal, the tasty food in the hand of Yaakov. So she sets him up for this. And now Yaakov will address his father. By Yomer Ovi. So Yaakov goes to his father. By Yomer Interesting verse. And he said Hineni. Now we know Hineni is a covenantal marker. But in this verse, of course, the Hineni is uttered by the wrong person. The Hineni should be uttered by the one receiving the blessing. It's Abraham who says Hineni in the binding of Isaac. So the Hineni should be uttered by, one of, by the son. It's what Esau said in verse number one, He but over here it's Yislev that says he made it. Here I am. Who are you? <laughs> now we have the question, who are you? Uh, who are you? And now we have Yaakov's answer, which is a wonderful answer. By Yom, Yaakov El Aviv, k'asher says Yaakov, I am of your oldest son, of bichorecha. I did what you told me to do, sit up and eat of my game in order that you, that you bless me, you give me your blessing. Now, I wanted to make one comment about the story here. We have to remember this. Asa is out hunting in the field. He couldn't walk in any moment. And you don't want to antagonize the hunter. So there's a certain tension to the story built into the story. He's gone out to hunt. Who knows how long it's going to take? So there is actually from Jacob's side a great need to get over with this, this thing as soon as possible, which is what Jacob says. Arise and eat, you know. And oh, yeah. bless me. And, you know, let's not I'll schmooze you this some other time. I need the blessing right now. That's something that hangs over the story, part of the tension of the story. Now let's get back to what Jacob says. Who are you, my son? The very question, who are you? So even in the question, there's something maybe that's bothering Yitzchak. We don't know what it is yet. Who, who are you? And Yaakov's answer is, Anochi Now what's interesting is in biblical Hebrew, there are two different words for me, for I. One is the word ani, and one is the word Anochi. And the difference between them is that Anochi is typically the uh, emphatic. I am the God who took you out of Egypt. Or I am the God who took you, Abraham, out of Ur Kastim. Anochi, Hashem, Olokechum. Anochi. Ani means amid, not the emphatic. So over here, we hear Yaakov saying, I am Esau, of Europe, the Behar. Now, we talked about the Bihar from a certain perspective. He is, in what might say, Esav the Bihar, having purchased the Beharah from Esav, he has displaced Asa, maybe. But the point of the Anochi is, there's a sense over here, as I read it, of a kind of discomfort. That is to say, what do you emphasize? If Esav, Esav says, lady, who are you? I'm, he says, I am I'm Asa. What's the question? I'm Esav. I am Asa already, you get a sense of Jacob's discomfort in the situation, which he said earlier, maybe my father will find me out. And then he says a wonderful thing, I did what you told me to do. You know, those of us who took tested in high school, probably all of us, I went nothing in high school, actually nothing, there weren't some bad things, but weren't virtually nothing. It's my fault, not them. Well, partially them too, but my fault. What you learn is how to fake on a test. Someone asks you a question on a test. You have no idea what the answer is. How you can write something which is very vague, which the, which the instructor could believe actually answers the question. There's an art to it of saying nothing but in a very eloquent way. I did everything you told me to do. He doesn't actually know exactly what Asa was told to do. He knows maybe he gave him instructions about hunting. He's, he's hearing it third hand, basically, right? Rebecca overhears Isaac, and now Rebecca instructs Yaakov, I did everything you told me to do. It's one of those vague statements, because he doesn't really know what it is. He's not a hunter. He doesn't know the situation. He's uncomfortable doing what he's doing for any number of reasons, maybe not primarily on moral grounds. Fine. So this is already a problem. And now you have the next verse. How come you're back so quickly? Because Asa would feed Yitzchak on a a regular basis, go out, bring back food. And Isaac knows, he comes back two hours later. This guy's in 20 minutes later. How come you're back so soon? And maybe that explains it earlier, who are you? And now Jacob gives his answer. With this answer, we'll have to stop for this week, right in the middle of this story. And what a story it is. Ki hikra Hashem He says I would translate hikra means to chance because your God chanced it before me and right away Yitzchak is extremely suspicious this can't be Yisaf now why can't it be Yisaf of course the Midrashim and Rashi who is the great uh, defender of uh, the people that he loves he tends to love the Jewish people he always has a terror to them the ones he dislikes, he keeps on the abuse. Says asa would never mention God's name. asa wouldn't mention God's name. Yaakov mentions God's name. I don't believe that actually is what is primarily bothering Yitzchak. It may be. It's possible, but I think it's something else over here. What bothers Yitzchak is the expression "hikra Hashem Hikra is to chance. The chance between God made a chance before me. Right? Why well, am I went back so quickly? Because God made a chance before me. And that's not the way Asa would ever speak. Because Asaf is a Yodaya tie. Asaf is a skilled hunter. It's not about chance. It's not about God causing a chance. That's not the way Asa would ever talk. Not because he mentions God's name, because that's not how he speaks. He's very good at what he does. He's a hunter. He goes it every day a hunter. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He would never say such a thing. Always someone who hasn't hunted would use that term. we not very good at it. And I would add, against, the, against what Rashi is saying, that actually, actually, from the standpoint of the Torah, is actually a negative. There's some people I to throw around God's name all the time, as if what they're doing has God's imprimatur. And the fact of the matter is, we have someone deceiving his blind father and the very mention of God's name over here, I think from the Torah's perspective, as I understand it, you could easily disagree with this, is not a positive thing. Reminds me of the story of Dina, when the Shimon and Levi killed the people of Shem by having them circumcise themselves first, therefore rendering them not able to fight. So they're attacking a the defenseless people. And not just that, they're using something which is the Torah describes as covenantal to achieve their end, which is murder of the town. That from the Torah standpoint is a big negative. But over here, I would say what gets Yitzchok very suspicious and he is suspicious in the very next verse, are you really, Esav? is not the mention of God's name, which I think is problematic, but the Hikra. Hikra, We'll come, but we'll start next week with the expression fanai, which is an important expression in, in, the, in the Torah and we'll continue with the story over here uh, which of course is perhaps the formative story or one of the formative stories of Jacob's life and one of the formative stories of the book of Rishi in general. So I welcome everybody back and uh, uh, look forward to next week. Uh, for the questions you can always email me dsober at org. And uh, it's great to be back and to learn together with you these stories, which are, for an overused word, amazing. I mean, they're incredibly powerful, complicated, and real. So look forward to studying as we move forward through Safer Grace Sheet. I want to mention, I, I, the class of Drisha start this week. We have many classes. I myself am teaching one other class. I never taught it before. It's a class on prayer and the biblical roots of prayer. So I invite you on Tuesday at 8, and it should be a very interesting class. I've been working on that. I I think it's quite interesting. The idea is to get a deeper appreciation of prayer, maybe help us in our prayers, a bit deeper understanding, trying to understand uh, the texts of prayer and the many intertexts. So that'll be through the year with a short break in the middle, and that's the plan for this year. Anyway, welcome, and uh, look forward to learning with you again.
3: Thank you, Abbe Silva thank you so much pleasure pleasure thank you really. thank you sure. um, thank you kayla awesome all
0: right. all right thank you to everyone and if you had a question and i'm sorry that i couldn't get to you to you in any way please feel free to email rabbi silver or inquiry at drisha and we'll see you for those interested in, in Rabbi Silver's coming class, we will hopefully see you on Tuesday, eight PM Eastern. And if not, see you next week, ten AM Eastern Time, GMT plus five.